0: Lord Jesus, we love you. And as Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, we need a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. Or we need to get to know you better. And that's a gift from on high. Uh, If we don't touch heaven today, if we just have clever words or a little reading, uh, we haven't encountered God. And we're made for a God encounter that will change our lives. We're made for God encounters that transform us. And so simply as we... Uh, read your word, the great gift, the great means of grace that you've given us in the Bible, we pray. Let us get a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you so we can get to know you better. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Earlier this week, I ran into Julia, Julia D'Onofrio. She was actually here with her two sons at the... Uh, Kids' time. I was at Starbucks on Tuesday and Julia just said hello, and she related to me that her four year old son, their oldest son Luca, had had a terrible ear infection. It was one that had had just gotten worse and uh, had developed, so it was very painful for Luca. And she was just sharing some of the things that Luca said as the ear infection went on. And he said things like, Why am I the only one who's sad and everyone else is happy? Four years old and then speaking of now julia's wife uh excuse me julia's husband nicholas is from argentina they are planning to go back to argentina this february and so luca knew that this trip was coming and he said am i gonna miss the trip to argentina he's worried about this sickness but luca's words and kind of his primal response was really uh i noted it Strongly, because I think that it hits something that all of us start to feel when we have a trial or a challenge. Right? You heard in Luca that sense of isolation, four years old, a sense of defect with him because of this challenge, this trial that he had. And we also, as an automatic response to our trial, we often feel like, what's wrong with me? So, regardless of the source of that trial, right? Maybe it's like Luca. Just a sickness. Maybe it's conflict with someone close to you at work, in your family, a roommate. Maybe it's a change in your financial situation that you did not anticipate. Maybe it's just the day-to-day of parenting and laundry and getting food on the table. Sometimes that's enough to drive you batty. Maybe it's an academic failure. You fail a test or all of a sudden you're not doing well in your major and you wonder why. Maybe it's something deeper like the kind of existential angst or the, the loneliness of our souls. You know, Blaise Pascal was a French philosopher and his work called Thoughts. He says that there is a deep longing in our hearts that really is never satiated. It's never satisfied. Maybe there are moments you just go, God, there's got to be more in life than this. And then that gets you on this trail of what's wrong with me or what's, is it just me that feels this empty, dark pit in my soul? And then often it's just our own issues, our sin, right? If we're caught in a cycle of sin, that's just the one to punch the devil, right? First, he lures us into sin and then his, his roundhouse to the face is you're the only one, you're isolated and you stink. So. Regardless of the challenge, when we find it hard to party, when we find it hard to experience the God of extravagant celebration that we've been sharing about this whole fall, because of a challenging circumstance, we wonder, what is God thinking? What should I be doing? What is God thinking? What is he doing? And what should I be doing? To help us answer that today, we're going to look at John 11. It's a story of Lazarus. So if you would, open your Bible to John 11. Otherwise, I'm going to have you actually look at the screen. It's a longer narrative, so we're going to go through it in chunks, and I'm going to ask all of you to speak it together. So regardless of the version that you have in front of you, I'm just going to invite you to uh, read it with me uh, together from what you see on the screen. So we're going to start first with John 11, verses 1 to 4. Will you read with me now what you see on the screen out loud as we go through this narrative? Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. As readers of the story, we enter into a relationship that's clearly already happening. Okay, Jesus already has a relationship with this family, and he really digs them. He just loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. The, the thing to which they refer, the anointing, that's actually going to come later in John 12. So again, we're, we're just kind of thrust upon this relationship. We don't know how it got started. We don't know how Jesus got to know them, but we know that they dig each other. They just enjoy spending time together. And we also know from the text from chapter 10 that Jesus is like at least 20 miles away and maybe as far as 40 or 50. Okay, they're in Bethany, which is about a mile and a half east of Jerusalem. And Jesus is a little bit further north and east across the Jordan uh, because that's what the text says in chapter 10. So he's far away. If you walk eight miles an hour, it's a day or two to get there right now. All right. So problem. Lazarus is sick. And where's Jesus? He's far away. Have you been there? Right? You and me? Problem, I've got a challenge. I'm frustrated. I feel like it's only me. I'm isolated. What's wrong with me? And where's Jesus? Because he just feels like he's far away. What's your challenging circumstance? I want to share with you, and we're going to share a little bit throughout this message, the challenging circumstances of one of our own. Her name is Joe Turner. Some of you know her, and she's been walking with us for about, I guess, the better part of two years, right, here at the harbor. Let's listen to the video. Why don't you turn your attention to the screen? We'll hear a little bit about her. I've had a really
1: challenging circumstance in my life that's left me with questions of where God is and when He's showing up. Uh, A year ago in March, in 2014, my brother, who I was closest to, passed away, and I watched him suffer with cancer. And it absolutely broke my heart. He was a spiritual advisor to me and also a very practical advisor to me. And I lost a lot when I lost my brother. And then two weeks after that, my boss went on a sabbatical, and he left me in charge of a brand-new database that no one knew how to run, and it was my responsibility to get it going. As you can imagine, the timing was pretty harsh, and I worked hard for three months And then he came back, and a month later, they told me that they were going to have to lay me off at the end of that year. So last December in 2014, I was laid off. It is now October of 2015, and I do have a temp job, and I'm working full-time on temp pay. I have no benefits. If I'm sick, I lose money. Um, If I, you know, if I... If I want to make the bills, I can't spend anything. It's just enough to barely get by.
0: It's hard to party sometimes. Loss of a dear, dear brother. Ten months Joe has been without a vocational job. It is hard to party, isn't it? And Jesus told us that that would be the case. A few chapters later in John sixteen thirty three, he says, In this world you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world it is hard to party sometimes now jesus kind of gives this comfort in verse four i don't know how comforting it is to you but you know jesus says again he's not with lazarus martha and mary again he's 20 to 50 miles away and he says hey this illness we're not sure who he's speaking to but whoever's with him he says this illness does not lead to death it is for the glory of god that this so that the son of god may be glorified through it well thank you god (laughs) you know We're in our trial, you're in your challenge, you're wondering what's wrong with you, and Jesus says, hey, don't worry, it's going to work out for my glory. How comforting is that to you right now? I just, I'm, as I read the text, I just go, that is not super comforting to me, Jesus. I'm glad it's going to work out for your glory, but I'm hurting over here, and you're far away. Sometimes it's hard to party. Let's continue in the text. Why don't you read with me verses 5 and 6. Let's all read 5 and 6 together from the screen. Join me. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place he was. Does anyone hear the record scratch in here? (laughs) Love you guys. Later. So what is Jesus thinking? When we're in our trial. When you're in your place of God, where the heck are you? What is Jesus thinking? What is he doing? The first thing we learn here is Jesus loves you. Okay, he really does love you. You know, a few verses earlier when it was said to Jesus that, hey, Lazarus, the guy you love, the Greek translation there is is philio, it's friend, right? We know that Jesus enjoyed hanging out with Lazarus. You know, the kind of enjoyment like they just dug being together. Maybe they went fishing together. You know, they just enjoyed time together. I had the privilege a couple of weeks ago of going fishing with Silas, Anthony and uh, Silas. It's just it nourished my soul to just sit on the pier there of Independence Park and talk to Silas and wait for fish. I just dug hanging out with him. That's how Jesus loved Lazarus. And that's how Jesus loves you. He loves you. He loves being with you. He enjoys your company. He really does. That's the truth. As Brian said to the kids, when you got the blues, what matters is the truth. All right, when you got the blues, here's the truth. Jesus likes you. And secondly, here in this verse, now in verse 5, when it says that he loved these guys, that's the Greek word Agape. And I feel like in Christian circles, we too often just relegate that to this very theological understanding. You know, c- kind of the equivalent of the Hebrew word hesed, which is this loyal, faithful love. We often just say, okay, agape. You know, God's obligated to agape me because he's God. But you know that the roots of the word agape come from things like to be fond of, to love dearly. So God, Jesus, dearly loved Lazarus. Mary and Martha, he dearly loves you—not just out of some creator obligation, but he's fond of you and he's dearly in love with you. So, what's Jesus thinking when he's when you're feeling isolated and defective because you're challenged? He's thinking, "I love you, and I'm for you." Now, of course, we have this thing in verse six, which is the shocker, right? "I love you, peace. I'm not coming." Now, again, I don't know about you, but a lot of times in my own timetables, I find that they don't line up with God's. You know, it's like, God, I need the money today or I need help with our family now. And I'm crying out to God and God seems to tarry. God seems to tarry. And then when he starts to tarry, that's when we start to believe lies about who he is or our worth. Let's listen to how Joe experienced that lie.
1: The first thing we usually ask ourselves when we don't thrive in life is, what's wrong with me? Why is it not happening? What am I doing wrong? And I've gone through lots of series of those questions. a bit dismayed to notice that in my life, when things are really tough, I tend to withdraw. While I love people and love sharing life, when I'm not sure about myself and what's going on, I want to withdraw because I don't want to affect people with the way I feel.
0: All right, see, so you hear that? What's wrong with me? And because I'm not sure what's wrong with me, I'm pulling back. That's the lie we start to believe when we think the challenge comes and it's my fault. What's the truth? What is Jesus doing? What is he thinking towards you and me? For that, let's go back to the text. Let's read aloud together, verses 7 to 16. Notice what Jesus is doing as we unpack this. Let's read this together. Then after this, he said to the disciples... Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Clueless. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. So what's the truth? The truth is Jesus is moving towards you. In your trial, and your challenge, Jesus is moving towards you. Do you see the great cost at which Jesus is moving towards Lazarus? He's going to where he had been threatened to be stoned. And we see by Thomas's response at the end what a serious thing it is. Thomas is thinking, here we go. This is the end, but we're with him. Jesus is moving towards you. Okay. Even at great personal risk in the narrative. And now for you and me today, Jesus has already done everything he could to move towards us. I love what Paul says in Romans eight verse 32. He says of Jesus, he says, he who did not serve of God, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will, how will he not also graciously give us all things? How will he not graciously give us all things? Jesus already died on the cross. Like he's already done everything he could. He's already moved towards you and me just as much as he could. Everything else is gravy for him. So Jesus is moving towards you. He's already moved towards you and he's going to keep moving towards you. And Jesus is. He's a let's do this thing kind of guy. Okay, those verses 9 and 10 that talk about the light and let's go, um, you know, scholars have debated. There's kind of some mixed metaphors in there. It's a little bit hard to follow exactly what's going on. Remember, Jesus says, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he's not stumbled because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the n- night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. A lot of guys have a lot of different thoughts on that. I think one thing we can deduce is Jesus is saying, let's go, right? I'm doing this thing. We are moving towards Lazarus. Now is the time. So you also, in your trial, in your struggle, in the thing that's making you think, what's wrong with me? Jesus is saying, I'm there. I'm coming after you. Now is the time to help. That's how he moves towards you. Amen? Do you believe it? Meh. Maybe. We'll see. (laughs) Okay. The other thing that I appreciate about Jesus here is, uh, besides the fact there's a little humor in the the dialogue. You know, Jesus is like, he's falling asleep. And they're like, well, good, he'll get better. He's sick. And he's like, okay, I, I could use some words right here, but Jesus doesn't use those words. He says, all right, guys, he's dead, all right? Just plainly, he's dead. Jesus is a realist, okay? He understands how the challenge that you're facing or how the trial or how you feel isolated, he gets how it's affecting you, okay? Sometimes in our own minds, we think we're the only ones who understand how hard this is. Maybe it's just me because I have a self-pity complex I'm trying to get free from. <laughs> right? But Jesus understands. He's a realist. He gets it that, hey, you know, this issue with your finances, where's the heating bill money going to come from? He gets it that in this, like, rift with your friend, it's killing you on the inside and it's just tearing you up. He gets it that... Your relative is struggling with cancer right now. And unless there's a change, the prognosis is not good. Jesus is a realist. He's not just fluffy. Uh, Lazarus is asleep. Lazarus is dead. Okay? Your trial, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to God. And he gets it. And he's okay with it. And he can handle it because he's Jesus. Just because it's hard to party does not mean that God does not like us or isn't helping us. Just because it's hard to party does not mean that he doesn't like you or he's not working on your behalf. So while we are sorting this out, you know, while Joe is sorting out, what's wrong with me? What are we to do? What do we do in the trial? Let's continue the narrative. Let's read 17 to 32 now. John 11, 17 to 32. Read it with me out loud so we can get it in us. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, <clears throat> what I'm after as we read this text is, you know, the question I started with is when it's hard to party, what should we do? And what I am noting in these verses is what Mary and Martha both do. It's actually really gutsy. And to me, it's an incredible sign of their intimacy, their safety and their connectedness to Jesus. Do you notice what Mar- Martha and Mary both say to him? Do they say, ah, oh, teacher, great teacher. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome back. I mean, Martha, guilt trip. If you were here, he wouldn't have died, Jesus. That is gutsy. Don't you think? That There's a great sense of trust there. Their relationship must be solid enough for Martha to say, where the heck were you? He's dead. And Mary says the exact same thing, and they didn't even know each other was saying it. Martha and Mary both had such a security, such a depth of Intimacy with Jesus, they go right to him and say exactly how they were feeling. So what I'm noting here is when you are in that place of what's wrong with me because I'm sick? What's wrong with me because I can't balance my checkbook? When you're there, that's when you go right to Jesus. See, Jesus was a realist. He said he's dead. Guess what? You can be a realist, too. When it's hard to party, you go straight to the host of this whole thing. Right? This is Jesus' party, right? This is God's idea. And as Brian has kept saying, where we're all headed is towards the great party, the great marriage celebration with Jesus. He's the host of the ultimate party. Well, when you're not able to party and you're not able to feel it, you go right to the host. It's what Mary and Martha did. Listen to how Joe did it.
1: Just a couple of weeks ago, I was already for church on Sunday morning, and I had some free time, so I sat at my desk and played a computer game one of my failures in life to do that too often and instead of going to church I sat there just feeling more and more miserable and then I said I'm not going to church and I thought I better work something out with God but it took me a long time to get up and try to fight through what I was feeling and while fellowship is good and I know I needed it what happened that day was first of all I felt that God said Joe I want you to Start trusting me before you see the outcome. Start praising me in in advance and celebrate what I'm going to bring to you. But the rest of it was not that fun. And that wasn't even fun because of the way I felt. But I got up and I just started crying out to God and saying, I can't stand this. Like, is there something I need to do differently? Is there some way I need to change? Would you just tell me? And... I can't stand it. I can't stand the loss. I can't stand not having a job, not being able to support myself. I can't take it any longer. And then it was like I popped the cork on a champagne bottle and everything came up from inside of me. And I cried and made such hideous sounds with the force of the tears and the sorrow coming out of me. I'm glad I wasn't in church for that because that could have freaked some of you out. But It was a really good just get it out with God moment. And there was nothing pretty about it, nothing rehearsed, and nothing that someone taught me how to do when they were teaching me how to live with Jesus. But it works. And he was there with me, and I knew it was okay for me to be that real.
0: For the record, you can all be snotty and um, totally crying here at church. We're okay with that, all right? I love when people meet with God. It's actually a privilege to be with people when they encounter God in those kind of ways. Do you hear it? But it's hard to party, straight to the host. That's what Joe did. Hard to party, she hadn't planned on it, but she went straight to the party host, right to Jesus. Let it all out. Lord, where the heck are you? It's awesome. And what do we get in return? If Jesus, by this text, if we're learning, hey, it is the right thing. Mary, Martha, Joe, me, you, if it's okay for us to go right to God in our pain, what's the response we can expect? How does Jesus respond to that? Again, let's turn to the text. Let's read verses 33 to 37 together as we continue to walk through this incredible story. Read this with me out loud, please. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? What do we get from Jesus when we are real with him? When we go straight to the host? See what you get back? We get back incredible expressions of friendship. Incredible expressions of friendship from Jesus. When it says in the ESV that he was deeply moved, or some of you in your ESV, you see they have an alternate translation, indignant. That word is related to a word that means to snort out in anger, All right? The picture is of a, an unbridled horse, you know, snorting out in anger. Jesus was mad at the brokenness and the death that had come to Lazarus. He was ticked off. He was troubled. That word stirred up, agitated. He was made restless. You notice he's asking, where is the tomb? Show me where he is. What I'm telling you today is that's how Jesus responds to you. He, He knows your tomb. He knows your circumstances. He knows how it went down. He gets it. Even if no one else does, Jesus gets it. And Jesus weeps with us. That's the kind of God we serve. Besides being probably a favorite memory verse for Navigate students because it's so short. John 11.35. Jesus wept. There's probably so much theology in that one verse in those two words. Because Jesus weeps with you. He weeps with you. He understands. And I can't think of a stronger expression of friendship than when someone starts to fight for another friend. Right? In his indignance. He's there's something rise up in Jesus. And I'm going to fight for this guy. The picture of a, a soldier going to his fallen battle buddy. I'm going to f- rescue this guy, right? Or when Kelsey sometimes when when critiques come my way and Kelsey rises up and says, not my husband. And I do the same when critiques come to Kelsey's way and I say, don't mess with my wife. There's something that rises up. I start to snort a little bit. in anger because there's a great expression there of friendship. You can expect to experience the friendship of Jesus when you offer him the reality, when you come to him, the host of the party. Let's see how Joe experienced Jesus' friendship.
1: Wow, God has been amazing. He has done things that I never thought he would do for me. So all of my life I've known Jesus, and I've seen him do great things for people, but I wasn't sure that I deserved the good things that other people got. And in this time I have been, I've asked for provision, but God has outdone me with people who have been amazingly gracious. I've had checks coming in the mail from people I haven't seen for six years, family members, church members. I have people who have covered my bills that I couldn't pay, including my rent for several months. that doesn't happen unless it's God showing up so I know he showed up for me and then there were little ways that he showed up I wanted a bigger garden hose that reached around the house the neighbor two houses down through one away, and it was perfect and on a nice roller and all I had to do was replace the washers and I was laughing because God knew I wanted to do that but I wouldn't spend the money on it and he showed up and took care of me and he also has shown up like for my heart Um, in all of the grief and sadness uh, for all the losses, he's been there and he's given me space and time to feel those things. And when I have been like, you know, am I dragging too much? I feel like God has been really gracious to just say, Joe, just be where you're at and let me be there with you. And he's shown up. Yeah, he's been really faithful in showing up for me.
0: I just love the garden hose story. That's the kind of friendship that Jesus offers. Something that only he and you could understand in the midst of this great trial, Joe saying I could use a garden hose and she gets the perfect one through her neighbor. That's the kind of friendship Jesus offers. When it's hard to party, we go straight to the host. We'll get friendship in return for Kelsey and I last year. Some of you know, last year was a, a dark time for us. Actually, Kelsey and I were um, on an extended sabbatical. And for me in particular, July was probably one of the lowest times that I've been at. And life for me was very black and white in the sense that I was just feeling tons of shame. And shame just is a killer. And so uh, we had then, uh, as things progressed, we signed up for this family camp at Camp Berea. Maybe some of you know it in New Hampshire. That was going to be mid-August. And so um, I'm still seeing life in black and white. I am I feel like I'm removed from a lot of things, not feeling a whole lot. And then I show up at this family camp, and um, Jesus starts to be kind to me. And the way that he is kind to me is I, uh, well, some of the shame that I was feeling was just related to my own sense of calling. Like, God, why have you put me on the earth? I'm, am I good at anything here? And then what happened just through the course of this week, interacting with other families, you know, I met I met 15, 60-year-olds, and I met teenagers. And what started to happen just naturally, without me trying very hard, was I would just do what I do, which is I say, hey, do you know you're really good at that? And you should do that more. And hey, that's really cool how God's gifted you like that. Have you thought about how, how that could help? And I just start to be the, the kind of Barnabas guy that I am, which is recognizing callings and then saying you should do that more or you should fan that into the flame. And all of a sudden, black and white started to go into color again. And I started to come back. I started to come alive. And I said, thank you, Jesus. You know, you're being kind to me. You're you're restoring me. And uh, I feel your friendship in this situation. So when it's hard to party, we go straight to the host. As we're real with him, he'll give us friendship. Now, why else do we go straight to the host? What else does he offer us? Let's finish the narrative and find out what else he offers us. This is John 11, verses 38 to 44. Please read it with me from the screen. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The great news about our host is he always has hope. When you have none, our host always, always has hope. If you believe you will see the glory of God in your challenging circumstance, can you believe that you will see, taste, experience the glory? That just means kind of the goodness of God, that he will give you his help, his life and his hope. That's what we're after today, that, there's be, that God would deposit such a bedrock of hope in us that even when the trial is tough, we can say, I'm going to still hold on. I believe that God will do something glorious in this circumstance for me and for him. What I love about verses 41 and 42, and this is Jesus praying with the, to the Father and saying, hey, I don't need to do this prayer because I'm Jesus, but I'm doing it so that all these guys can hear. What I love about that is, you know, something that we often underestimate is how God moves in our trial through others. How God starts to work in our trial through others. How He mobilizes others, how others' gifts and callings come out, how the body becomes the body. We had a wonderful time last Wednesday at faith group with a college faith group. Kaylin, who's up here leading worship, before she's one of our college faith group leaders, before she came to Faith group, she felt like God had said to her, you guys, we need to pray for different family situations today. And so we did that. And wouldn't you know, we had two different students share about kind of the crisis in their own um, families of origin. And we prayed for them. And because of the nature of those situations, man, you could just feel the room. I mean, we, we just actually we turned to corners of faith group this fall because we'd just gotten a level deeper, level deeper knowing each other. And, um... It was awesome, you know, because in the trial, everyone could gather around. The body could be the body. And I love that about Jesus. He's saying, hey, this isn't just for for me, but so all these guys can learn, all right? I know we don't always enjoy being kind of put on display or maybe you don't feel like, you know, kind of it can be awkward when you're exposed. And even Joe, you know, even doing this video, there's a little bit of a, hey, I want to share because there's going to be glory from testifying. But there's still a little bit of a concern there, right? But there's something about how God rallies the troops that's powerful when we go to the host and are real with him and bring others into it. And lastly, I would say this, you know, Martha mentions the odor and how stinky it is. And we get this incredible picture of grave cloths and whatever. Can I just say that Jesus is so willing to enter your mess? No matter how stinky, how filthy, how gross you think you're. Situation is and whether that stinkiness is caused by your own sin, by your own depravity, you know, by your own brokenness or whether that stink is caused by just the brokenness of life. You know, the, 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 the uh, fallenness of this world, regardless of the source of the stink, Jesus is not afraid to get right in there. He's not afraid to get into your tomb. It doesn't bother him. It is okay. And the host always has hope for you. Let's listen to how Joe has experienced that hope.
1: Well, there is a hope that I have. And having lived my whole life with Jesus, I know that regardless of how ugly it gets or how dark the night is, joy comes in the morning. And that's my hope, that I can rest in the Word of God that it's true. And so I feel like it's been a really dark, long, long time. But there's a morning coming, and God will come through with the perfect job for me. He has given me words of encouragement through friends who have prayed and uh, that I will thrive in my next job, that I will be able to be all of who I am and not have to separate myself out to please people around me. And uh, just amazing, constant feeding from friends. Friends who have said, look, God's working in our hearts too. And I think, wow, that's amazing because anything in our lives is not just about us. Especially in the fellowship of the church, in our small groups, in community with other Christians. It's never just about us because we bear each other's burdens. God's faithfulness to work in whatever situation we're in. You know, life dealt my getting laid off. My old company had to lay people off. Um, It wasn't necessarily God's choice. But here's what God does. He steps into it and says, what can I do with you? You're like putty in my hands, Joe. And I'm going to work in you in this time and prepare you for what comes next and keep preparing you. He does that throughout our lives. He keeps preparing us for the next step. And I believe that's what he's doing in my life and for others. And I'm just really exuberantly grateful for that.
0: I want that maturity, don't you? When it's hard to party, we go straight to the host. Everyone want to see a little more breakthrough in your lives? How about in Joe's life? This is what we're going to do. Joe, you come on up. You guys give a round of applause for Joe. Brian, I'm going to ask Brian and the A-team, or elders, to come forward, too. I've got some snort in me, all right? I got some anger. I'm tired of the death here. I want to see her get a job, don't you, after 10 months? So this is the church, and our God is the God of breakthrough. We've just read a scripture that says when it's hard to party, we go straight to the host. So can we do that together? So little, all right. Give me, give me a little more. Okay. Let's do this thing, all right? So A-team, we've got some more A-teamers here. I guess it's Columbus Day weekend. Okay, awesome. Hey, if you know Joe, I know some of you guys know Joe. You, you, you fraternize with her. Come on up. I just want to gather around here. We're going to lay hands. We're going to believe that the God of the breakthrough is going to give Joe a good job. Amen? And don't worry. I know there's other things going on in here. So we, God's not leaving you out either. And Dan, Ashley, come on up. Let's get the band up here. We're going to start to rock into our process and response time here. We're going to start here. All right? So you guys, where you're at, you guys on the stage, let's uh, start to pray for Joe. And um, you guys, uh, just put a hand out, okay? There's something, it's, it's biblical, all right? Put a hand towards Joe. Sorry, we're going to believe God for the breakthrough, okay? Let's start to pray. Hey, teamers, guys, friends, you start to pray. Pray, pray, pray. And then Brian, why don't you pray?